Thanks, guys. Good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here today. Thanks for being here. I promise I'll get you out in time to go see the Seahawks at 105. You'll be fine. Hey, uh, we're in the home stretch of our series, but before we get into that this morning, let me talk a little bit about the uh, 50 Days of Transformation series. I'm very excited about this. It actually starts in three weeks on October 9th, and the whole idea is we're going to take uh, 50 days, uh, eight weeks, eight Sundays, and uh, unpack some uh, things about how God transforms us, how he transforms the way we think, the way we live, our relationships, our finances, our work, all sorts of areas. So here's the deal. We start that in three weeks. A um, couple things I need you to know. One is I think we still got some left. We sold a lot of them in the first service, and that's good. We bought these books that go along with the series. It's a cool, it's leather-bound, it's called Transformed. What's in here, a place for notes, a place, a daily, 50 days, 50 different devotions for the entire time that we walk through the series together, a place for you to put uh, fill-in-the-blank notes for, from the uh, small group, uh, time that we'll have together, which I'll talk about in just a second. And you're going to want one of these. And here's the deal. I know some of you think, well, you yeah, know, if you don't um, pick it up today, we might run out. And I want to run out today. So I can order more and know how many to have. We're selling at our cost. is 15 bucks. Again, it's available cash, credit card check. It's all there. And the big idea is we're not trying to make money. We're trying to change lives. So we want to encourage you to pick one of these up. Somebody said to me, first service, uh, can I just get one for my family? You won't want to do that. Because in the devotions, the 50 days of devotions, there's a place for you to actually write personal notes, what God's spoken to you, what he's showing you. So it's a personal diary. You're also going to write some personal goals that you're going to set uh, during that 50 days as well. And, and so I encourage you to pick these up today so we'll know how many more to order. Along that line, uh, we're getting close. I don't know many people signed up the last service, but I know we need probably at least 8, 9, 10 more small groups, and we're looking for a host. People say, I'm not a leader. We're not looking for leaders. We're looking for a host. And here's what H-O-S-T stands for. Can you, uh, do you have a heart for people? Can you open your, your home? Can you serve, S, serve a snack and smile? And T, can you turn on a DVD? It's really complicated. So if you've got that, and we don't care if you're in an apartment, if you're in a, you know, uh, wherever you're located, Liberty Lake, South Hill, the Valley, I don't care. We need them everywhere. And what's going to happen is next Sunday, we actually have an orientation during both services for those hosting that group. Uh, sneak peek, we will have one on October 2nd, but we want you to do it next week. But if you miss it, somebody say, well, I can't be here next week, but I want to do it. We'll, we'll cover you uh, during this service on October 2nd as well. But we need you to step up. If you've got a home and you've got a, a, a heart for people, you can open your home, you can serve a snack, and you can turn on a DVD. We provide everything you need. It's a DVD, there's discussion questions, everything's provided for you, and we're even going to give you a little orientation for that next week. So, you can go over there to that table in the corner by the Get Connected board and sign up on the paper there. Or if you want to do it digitally, you can go to eastpointchurch.com, click on the 50 Days of Transformation link, and sign up to a host a group. I'd love that. All right, we're in Philippians chapter 4 today. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, I encourage you to open up to Philippians, the fourth chapter. It's always helpful if you follow along. Plus, I want you to see what I'm saying and making sure you understand it's really the Bible, not just something I made up. So again, uh, bring your Bible with you, bring a Bible app. If you don't have a Bible at home, they're on the walls in the back. Feel free to pick one of those up and take it home with you. What we're going to unpack today is how to deal with the reality of anxiety and worry. Anybody ever worry about anything? Uh, every hand should be up in this room. If you don't worry, you're not human. We all, I mean, maybe not a lot. Maybe you're not a worry wart like I will confess that I am. But we all worry a little bit. There's anxiety in our lives. And I, we're going to unpack some things that will really help you. Practical, godly, biblical things that will help you deal with anxiety in your life. Um, when my oldest daughter, Jessica, turned 18 and went away to college, she's my oldest child, my firstborn, my firstborn daughter, 
Uh, you know, daddy daughters are pretty close. She's very close to me, always has been. And when she turned 18 and decided to go to college, she wanted to go to Redding, California, go to Simpson University, and that was a long ways from home. And I, I was a little anxious, a little worried. And I wasn't worried about her, you know, doing something stupid, but I just knew, hey, this is a huge change, and she's going to be gone, and she's an important part of our home and our family life and our church life. Now she's going off at 18 to go to college, and some of you experienced that just recently. So when that happened, and I was processing going through it, the night before she was supposed to leave for Reading, I couldn't sleep. I was pretty anxious and worried and thinking about her, and I just finally decided to get up. And I went to, to my uh, home office, sat down in front of my computer, and I wrote her a letter. And uh, if you know me, you, you've heard me say this before, writing is therapeutic for me. There's a reason why I think my sixth book comes out this week. It's a kid's book. Because writing's really, I mean, I hope it blesses you too, but, but it's therapeutic for me. It helps me process. Some people process talking. Some people process, you know, in a room all by themselves. I process with words and a keyboard. And so I sat down and I wrote her this letter. Now, I'm, you know, you know me. What, what do you think I did while I wrote that letter? Yeah, I bawled. I, I didn't just cry. I bawled. I mean, I, it, was, it, was, it was a mess. And I'm writing to her about how much I love her and how proud I am of her. And then I gave her seven things I didn't want her ever to forget. Seven gems of wisdom, if you will. Seven truths, seven things. And basically, there were seven mistakes that I made that I was praying she wouldn't make. Here's a little lesson if you're young. You don't have to learn the hard way. Listen, you don't have to learn the hard way. You can learn from people who have gone down the road and have, have led a path before you. Learn from your elders. It's good. So I wrote this letter to her, and I seal it up. And again, I'm just literally weeping the whole time. Finally, though, I was exhausted, went to bed, got to sleep. Next morning, we get up to get in the car, pack her all up. And I stuck that letter in my pocket, and I, I wasn't going to give it to her until we got down there. Drove all the way to Reading. We, you know, get her into her dorm room and meeting these, you know, people in her dorm area. And, and she's excited. She's all giddy. I'm like depressed. And I'm not, I'm just like, oh, this is really great. Nah. So, buddy, the last thing I did was, sweetheart, I've got something for you. I want to give this letter. And I said, do you want me to read it now? No, do not read it now because then we'll both be a blobbering mess. I said, just read it later, some, uh, later something I wrote for you because I love you. Well, you know, we cried, we hugged. You know, mom and I, her mom and I got in the car. And we, we literally, we got on the freeway, I-5, and I had, to, I had to pull over. I had to take it, get an off-ramp because I was crying still so hard. Could, not good when you're driving at 65 miles an hour and you can't see. So I pulled off, and I'm just weeping and sobbing. But the reason why I wrote her the letter was I wanted to give her some things to think about, some final exhortations, so to speak, before she took off and launched out into the world on her own. And this part of Philippians, chapter 4, we're on the home stretch. We're wrapping it up next Sunday. In this part, we see some final exhortations. Now, they may seem like abstract thoughts. If you've read it, hopefully you're going to be reading through Philippians as we've been doing this each week. It may seem like it's kind of like, what's that? He's all over the place. I believe there's Holy Spirit guided and directives that he's, he's putting this together and it all has to do with peace. So here's the big idea today. God has a way for you to live and it's a way that leads to peace, not worry. Listen, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you need to hear this. God has a way for you to live in your situation, in your life, no matter what's going on and it is a way that leads to peace and not worry. With that in mind, let's take a look at Philippians 4. Pick it up in verse 2. Paul says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. He's pleading for unity. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, and this is really the capstone of the entire book. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
This is the central idea. We've said it every week, 15 times he uses the word joy or rejoice. And right here in his kind of final, you know, part of this letter to the church at Philippi, he wraps it up in one statement, rejoice in the Lord. We'll come back to that in a moment. He says, in fact, I, I'll say it again, I'm going to repeat myself, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We'll take a look at that in just a moment. And here's the promise, as we do, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the first time in this passage he mentions peace in this particular part. And he says, and here's what's going to happen when you do what I'm asking you to do. When, I'm, when you do what I'm challenging you to do, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Stay there, hang out there, dwell there. Whatever you've learned. And or received from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Here's the second time Paul mentions peace. Do this, and the God of peace will be with you. And I want you to notice here that in this passage, Paul covers everything from dealing with relational conflict, Yodia and Syntyche, and what's happening there, which we don't know exactly the cause or the reason, but there's tension. He deals with that, and he also deals with where we are to fix our hearts and our minds. And in this context, again, he talks about peace. He describes for us a way to live, and it is a way that will lead to peace and to worry-free living. So, how to really live worry-free. Number one in your outline, get your relationships in order. How do we get there? First thing, get your relationships in order. The first thing Paul does here, he pleads for unity. In fact, he does it twice. He says, verse 2, I plead, strong word, I'm begging you, you ladies. I plead with Yodin, I plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind, of one mind in the Lord. You see, Paul knew something that's true of us. He knew it better than I think most of us do, that we are not isolated beings who can do whatever we want without regard to others around us. In fact, in the church, if you're a part of the community of faith, if you're a Christ follower, in the church, we're connected to each other in ways that, that are both literal and spiritual in their dimensions. We are connected. We are one. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we all are honored. In fact, here's your first homework assignment this week. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 12 this week and read it. Hang out there in your devotions, in your time with the Lord. Read through 1 Corinthians 12, and you'll see. And this is only one, again, of another place that Paul talks about how important it is that we walk in, live in, and dwell in unity. And his point is we're connected, just like the body. In fact, the, the analogy that's used frequently in the New Testament is that we are the body of Christ. And so we are connected. If I took a thumb, you know, a thumb, if I took a hammer to this thumb, the rest of my, my entire body is going to react. My entire body is going to feel it. If I get a sliver in my toe, something happens. My entire body reacts and feels it. And that's because the body is connected. And throughout the New Testament, here's the picture. We are connected. We are a body. We are the body of Christ. We matter. We're connected to each other. We're a family. And what one does affects others. In your family, if you've got a kid who's gone off the rails or creating a lot of tension in your life, does that affect everybody in the family? Oh, yeah. If there's marital tension, you know, does that affect everybody in the family? Yeah, ask your kids. Oh, yeah. If you've got a BFF, your best friend, and he or she's done something or said something really stupid and hurt you, does that create tension in all your other rippling relationships, the other relationships around that circle? Of course it does. We are connected to each other. 
And we've got to understand that. In more ways than we generally realize and understand, what you do affects me and what I do affects you. In fact, I'm convinced of this. If we really understood this, we would give a lot more attention to caring for the body. Because what I say affects you. What I do affects you. What you say affects me. I had a conversation with a woman in our church quite a few years ago. She was stealing from her friends to support her gambling habit. And uh, her friends confronted her about that. She didn't respond. The friends came to me following Matthew 18. And and we went together. And I confronted her. I said, hey, you know, uh, is this true? You're stealing. And here was her reaction. What I do, Boobna, is none of your business. She was quite vocal and adamant about that. What I do is none of your business. And I got with about five inches of her face, and I looked her in the eye and said, sweetheart, what you do is, has everything to do with me. It is my business because what you're doing affects me. It affects these ladies. It affects the body of Christ. The, the, the answer, the, the, the attitude, well, it's none of your business what I do, should never be said as a Christ follower because we are connected. We are one. We're not islands drifting in a sea of humanity or drifting in the church without any connection to others. Rather, we are deeply, deeply and profoundly connected to each other as members of the body of Christ. And I could spend a lot longer talking about that. I'll move on. But let me just say this, guys. When you get that, it changes everything. When you don't get that, you just kind of become a lone ranger and do whatever you want. But Paul understood this truth, and he knew it deeply, that unresolved conflict leads to tension, And tension leads to anxiety, worry, fear, relationship, stress, anxiety at some level, and anxiety destroys our peace. Let me say that again. Paul understood that unresolved conflict always, always, always leads to tension. At some level, there's tension. Think about a person in your life right now that you've got a strained relationship with. Guaranteed there's tension. Maybe it's a little knot. Maybe it's a huge knot. Maybe it keeps you awake at night. Maybe it just wakes you up once in a while. But unresolved conflict leads to tension. Tension leads to anxiety. And anxiety, listen, it robs us. It robs you of your peace. And that's not God's plan for you. So Paul pleads with him, these ladies, be reconciled. Agree with each other in the Lord. It's a cry for unity. Paul is begging these women to see the bigger picture, to see that it's not just about them. He begs them to resolve this, to work through it, to understand that they're connected, that they're a part of something bigger. And to resolve this problem, he begged them, and I'm begging you, if you want peace, you need to get your relationships in order. Now you might be thinking, well, I've done everything I can, and this person does not respond, does not react, it's not working. Do everything you can. The Bible says, Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. You do the best you can. Do whatever you can. So that in your own heart, here's where you find peace. I know I've done everything humanly possible, and by God's grace even more, I've done everything I can to live at peace. If you want peace, deal with the tension in your relationships. Here's the second thing, number two, get your request to God in prayer. I've done entire series on this issue, but Paul here connects prayer and peace together. Get your request to God in prayer. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord, I'll say it again, rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, by prayer, bring your request to God with thankful heart. Present your request to God. Just bring him to the Father. And here's the promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, uh, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The promise is, when you do this, a peace that you can't even figure out. It will, sometimes it will not make sense. People around you go, man, I've, I know what's going on in your life. How can you have peace? 
You'll look at your life and go, how can I be in peace right now? It will mess with your gray matter. It will transcend your understanding because it's God, and it's God's peace in your life. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again and again, we said it each week, this letter is about joy. It's about rejoicing. And again and again, we've landed on this. I'll do it again this week. Paul's made it very clear that our joy, our ability to rejoice is not, listen, it's not based on our circumstances. Joy does not come when everything's peachy keen. Happiness is, 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 uh, is different than joy. It, it, you don't find it just when everything's going the way you want it to. The basis for a lifestyle of rejoicing that Paul says here, we're challenged, rejoice in the Lord. He's the center. He's the focus. He's the reason why. Because of our relationship. And see, when he talks about prayer, and this is something, again, I've done an entire series on. I've got about two minutes to unpack this for you. But guys, when we talk about prayer, it's not, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, rub it up, dub, you know, three minutes at a time. That's not, the, that's not prayer. That prayer is when I come to God and I commune with him. I have a, 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 a conversation with God. It's a relationship. They think, well, you know, I talk to God, I don't ever hear him back. Well, that's why he gave you his word. That's why he gave you his Holy Spirit. And more than you know, you do hear God. But it's something we grow and we develop. And it's relational. God, prayer is not something we just say. You don't say your prayers. Prayer is a relationship, a walk of relationship, communing with God. And joy is the result of that. Joy is this outward expression of an inward reality. It's, again, not the result of happy things or easy and good circumstances. It's a result of being in relationship with the Father, knowing who he is and knowing who I am in him. Rejoice in the Lord. Knowing who he is, getting to know him better, knowing who I am in him, and that's where joy is found in the relationship I have through him, and that comes through prayer. Any relationship you have, the depth of that relationship is based on the depth of your communication, the strength of your communication with that person. Friend, spouse, kid, parent, whatever, neighbor. It all comes back to this, and it's absolutely true in our relationship with God. And by the way, Paul didn't say if, if and when you feel like it, rejoice. He didn't say, yeah, if you're having a good day, you really feel like it, rejoice in the Lord. Not at all. In fact, what he does here is this is a commandment. You know, there are New Testament commandments, by the way, and this is one of them. Rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? It means we choose to focus our attention on him, to love him, to choose joy over anxiety. Now, for the record, Paul is not some looney tomb optimist who is out of touch with the real world. If you read any bit of his story, read the book of Acts, you'll find other passages where Paul describes his life shipwrecked, flogged nearly to death, stoned, hungry. And keep in mind, when he wrote this, do you remember where he was? Chained, you know, to a guard 24-7. He's in prison in Rome. House arrest, but he's not in a good place at all. He knew very well that life's circumstances would try to weigh us down. And that they, those, the things around us, the experience of our life would often try to bury us under, under the weight of, of struggle and, and bring despair. And that's why, listen, that's why Paul said in verse 6, worry about nothing because you pray about everything. That's the Bubna paraphrase version. Worry about nothing because, because you pray about everything. Listen, prayer is the antidote. Prayer is the solution to worry. Prayer is the path to peace. We practice joy when we practice prayer. We learn to walk in joy when we learn to walk in communion, in communication, in prayer with God the Father. 
Prayer is the pathway to peace because it's the pathway to the God of peace. In fact, I want you to notice here that the promise of God's peace in our hearts and minds is contingent upon the practice of prayer in our lives. Verse 7, pray, and then, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. And I love that word guard. That's a picture of a sentry. Stand a big old guy. Think about the biggest, strongest guy you've ever known. Standing with a you know, massive sword and a spear and whatever else. He's a shield. He's, he's there. He's guarding your heart. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. When? When we pray. Why? Because we're communing with the Father. Now, I need to make this clear as well because sometimes we performance-driven Christians, that would be me, we tend to think that we can earn peace and that we become worthy of peace because we spend 15 hours a day in prayer. That if I, could, I just need to, if I have calluses on my knees, then God, God will give me peace. That's not what I'm saying. The promise of peace is not a reward for good behavior. That's not the point. And again, just addressing the performance thing that happens too often in us. The promise of peace happens when I learn to cast my cares on him, when I learn to, in relationship with him, to say, God, I can't carry this. It's too big for me. I'm going to put this on your shoulders. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he, God, cares for you. Cast everything. It, you can't carry. Cast all your anxiety on the Lord. And why would we do that? Because he cares. Why would we bother? Because God is a father who loves you more than you can possibly know. Why would I be in this relationship? Why would I pray? To earn something from him, to somehow, you know, get a merit badge from Jesus because I've, you know, spent five hours a day on my knee. No. It's because I, I know him. I love him. And, I, and I've learned this reality, this truth. He cares for me. Listen, some of you need to understand this. God cares for you. More than you can even imagine, God the Father cares for you. And that's why he says, don't carry that, let me. Because I care for you. By nature, I am a worry wart. Uh, this, what I'm talking about today does not come easy for me. I'll be honest. I'll be transparent. If I'm anything, I'm honest. And I, I've had to learn and relearn this again and again in my life. I was just born with a high capacity to worry. I'm just a natural, gifted worrier. It's what I do. It's who I am. And so I've had to work through this again and again. I, I've gotten better, and I've learned some things that I'm sharing with you today. And I'm not as bad, as, as messed up as I used to be, but it's still a struggle. There are times I still have to step back and say, okay, wait a minute. Is this a relational thing i got to get fixed? Okay, wait a minute. i got to bring this to God. i got to pray. i got to get on my face. My most recent struggle, to be honest with you, my most recent anxiety battle has been over uh, what I've heard so far from someone else is that a friend of mine is leaving East Point. Somebody's been with me and us for quite a while. And it's, frankly, it's just eating my lunch. It is eating my lunch. I, for days, and I've struggled and strived and, God, wake up in the middle of the night, wake up at 3.34 in the morning thinking about it, praying about it, thinking, oh, God, I don't understand. It's so hard for me. But here's what I'm learning again. I keep taking that to him. I keep casting that care on him. I keep saying, Lord, this is bigger than me. I, I don't get this. I don't understand. I don't like it. But, God, I'm going to cast my cares on you. By the way, in a side note, and I'll digress from my notes back there in the guys in the booth. Um, there are only really five biblical reasons, good reasons to ever leave a church. This, little, this is free. This is extra. One is uh, heresy. If a church is teaching heresy, get out of there. Corruption at any level, financial, you know, leadership, moral corruption. If, there's, if the leadership is corrupt and they're not owning it and not repenting, get out of there. A third reason would be uh, when they, if they shift, a major shift in focus or direction. 
You know, you join a Baptist church and they become Pentecostal church. That's not your fault they change, and that, that's a major shift and change in direction. It's not something you signed up for. I, I can, yes, that would be a reason. The fourth reason you can leave is because you want to be part of a church planning team. You're going to help start other churches. That's a great reason to go. And the fourth, excuse me, fifth, I'm the five. The fifth reason, i got to count my fingers. The fifth reason is change of address. Either you move, the church moves, or you got a new address because now you're dead and you're in heaven. Change of address, that's another legitimate reason. Those are the only five biblical reasons. And people say, oh, well, you know what you're talking about. There's a lot of things. I didn't like the way they did that. You know, he taught this thing about, you know, uh, and, you know, I mean, you know, do you know that we, I got emails, two emails from people after we did the thing with John Forbes and Rodney, uh, the, the, where we talked about homosexuality and, and ethnic tensions in our country. Two emails from people said, we're out of here, we're gone, we're done. I wouldn't agree with that at all. That's, you're, you're just, you know, you're taking the, I'm, I'm, what? Every week I get emails from people. Sometimes they're nice and kind, thank you. Sometimes they're like, you suck, this church sucks, I can't believe you did that, and you know, the music's too loud. I don't like this, I don't like that, and, and I just, I respond with kindness. I usually say, man, here's the deal. Listen to me, listen, let me put it this way. How many of you have a perfect family? No, you don't, Jesse. Nobody has a perfect family. <laughs> nobody has a perfect family. That's cool that he feels that way, but nobody has. And if your kid does something stupid, Jesus, like, dude, that's it, you're out. Uh, you know, or the kid says, Dad, we've always been a, a Ford family. You just bought a Toyota. I am so done with you. I'm out of here. I'm, it's just, I don't agree, I'm leaving. Or how, uh, make it real, you know, how about, you know, a husband comes to a wife and says, sweetheart, I'm really bored. I want something new and fresh and exciting, so I'm going to get a new wife, or two, or three. You think, oh, no, that's, guys, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are connected to one another. And do you know why your family's imperfect? This is like going to blow some of you away. Your family's imperfect because God made it that way. Yeah, he did, because where do you learn to forgive? Where do you learn to love? Where do you learn to bear with one another? Where do you learn to be uh, long-suffering? Where do you learn these things? You learn them in the human family God put you with, and I'll expand this, biblically I can do this, and I stand absolutely convinced of this. Same is true for the body, the, the church, the family of God. We ain't perfect, we never will be. You don't like something, work through it. Love one another. 50, 50 times the Bible uses the phrase love, serve, kind, share, bear with one another over and over again. We learn that here in our consumeristic society where people think, well, I don't like that. There's 15 other churches down the street. I'll go check those out. That's not biblical. That is not the heart of God. Because sooner or later, you'll find out that church isn't perfect. The day you join it, it won't be perfect. You got it, right? Okay, I'll move on. Back to my notes, where was I? We need to keep reminding ourselves that the peace of God comes from the God of peace. No matter what we're facing, no matter what struggle, I shared mine, most recent anxiety. Whatever you're facing, we pray, we trust in him. We come to him, we cry out to him, and then, 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 the peace of God that transcends all understanding becomes ours. No matter what you're facing, you can abandon worry and have peace because of who God is, and because of his faithfulness to you, and because of who you are in him. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want, I, I want you to know this. God invites you to turn your worry list into a prayer list. God invites you to turn your worry list into a prayer list. Here's your second and final homework assignment for the week. I want you today, not, don't put this aside too long. 
I want you to take the outline. By the way, they're always available on the tables and the, the uh, stools in the back. But take the outline or a piece of paper, and I want you to list all the worries you have right now. Some of you have a long list. Some of you think, oh, you know, I don't know, a couple things, I guess. I want you to list all the worries. Big, small, little, mean, eh, bad, ugly, whatever they are. List all the worries you have. And it's going to be between you and God, so be honest. Get real. List them. And then I want you to use that very same list and turn that into a prayer list. To take that very same list, I'm worried about my kids, I'm worried about my finances, I'm worried about my, my marriage, I'm worried about my health, I'm worried about my dog, whatever it is. Take that list and turn it into a prayer list. Pray through that every day. God, I'm going to pray about this. God, I'm going to pray. God, I know you care. I know I can bring this to you. I'm going to cast this care on you. And the cool thing is, as you do that, I promise you, you'll experience more peace. And the other thing is, at some point, that very list will become a praise list. Because you'll be able to look and say, check. God took care of that one. Check. God fixed that. Check. God helped me there. Check. Th things are much better. Now, there may be some things on the list that never get a check. Not on this side of eternity. But here's the, the, what can happen. You can change. God will use them to change you. Greater joy will be yours, yours. Which takes me to the last thing. And here's what Paul says in uh, verses four, uh, chapter 4, verse 18 and 9. He says, get your focus on the good. Get your focus on the good. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation because I really like the way I put it. Verses uh, 8 and 9 of Philippians 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Telling preachers say, and in closing, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Verse 9, keep putting it into practice. I love that phrase. He acknowledges that we are in process. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Because here's the deal. Then, then the peace of God will be with you. Paul's saying, get your focus. Put your focus on the good. You know, most of us, um, uh, at least I'll own this, we tend to be half glass, half empty people. We get overwhelmed by the bad, the negative, the stuff that's not good. And what Paul is saying here is make the good the center of your attention. Find something. Choose something. One of the secrets to overcoming anxiety is prayer. Another one is to find something in the midst of whatever's going on. One thing, even one tiny little thing maybe that you can say, I don't like this and I don't like this and this really bothers me. God, please help. Please fix. But Lord, I'm thankful. He said, make your request with thanksgiving. How do you do that? You find one thing. God, and maybe the one thing, listen to me, maybe the one thing you're going to be thankful for is that this is changing you. It may not ever, the circumstance may never change. You get that, right? Right? Okay, three of you get that. The rest of you better figure this out because you'll be really frustrated. Your circumstances may not change. There are things that are done that be, they're done. It's, 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 there's may, it, nothing may ever change about that. But what can change is you in the process. Paul, again, he's saying part of this antidote to worry is to fix our mind to search out what's good, to choose to put our focus there. And why is this important? Because what we think affects how we behave. We're going to get into this in 50 Days Transformation again and again. It's one of the great truths that we'll present to you is that the way you think affects the way you live. What you think, what's here affects everything. Your mouth, the way you live, what you think affects how you behave. Behavior is controlled by attitudes. And so as a friend used to say, stinking thinking is never a good thing because it ruins us. Stinking thinking results in something bad every time. But a focusing, a good attitude, choosing to find one thing to be thankful for, 
makes all the difference in the world. Let me tell you a story, but I wrote a story about a couple of guys. Uh, true story. Bob and Ted, who became wolf hunters, bounty hunters in Canada. Didn't know they had such a thing, but at the time apparently they did. And Canada was paying $5,000 for every wolf captured alive. Why they wanted them alive, I don't know. But $5,000 for every wolf captured alive. These guys, day after day after day, they scoured the mountains and they searched for these wolves and they heard them in the distance. They couldn't find wolves anywhere. Just wasn't going to happen. I got a buddy of mine right now who's in Montana. He's hunting wolf. Uh, again, he just, I don't know what, but that's what he's doing. But these guys, they searched day after day. And they couldn't see, they couldn't find, they didn't capture one wolf. And days had gone by, it's, they're exhausted, they're frustrated. And so they lay down to sleep one night and they're saying, man, what a waste of time. This is really stupid. I'm so frustrated. But about 2 a.m. that morning, Bob woke up and he hit his flashlight because he heard something. And what he saw in the distance was a pack of wolves. Not too far off. And you can see they're burying their teeth and their red eyes. And, and here's him. I would look at that and go, oh, no. You know what Bob did? Ted, wake up. We're rich. <laughs> get it, right? Some of you, little, you guys are fully caffeinated. I hope you get that. <laughs> Attitude. I would have panicked and said, oh, this sucks. Bob said, hey, good news. You know these guys we've been looking for? Here they are. Attitude can make all the difference in the world. But let's be honest, some of us have a tendency to see the worst first. You lose your job. You panic rather than see it as an opportunity for something new and for God to grow you. you your car gets totaled or blows up or something happens and, and you get so angry and frustrated and disappointed and worried about insurance and worried about, and it's a piece of you know, plastic and metal that's gonna be in a heap of pile somewhere in a junkyard anyhow. And we allow things to rob us of our joy Maybe you get diagnosed with a serious illness and you worry about dying. When the truth is, everybody dies. And I'm not saying that to be morbid. I'm just saying, man, we all, we all die. The real important question is not, am I going to die? The most important question is, am I truly living? Am I living now? Am I fully alive in Christ? Paul is not, nor am I, encouraging a denial of reality. Not for a second. What he is doing is challenging us to look deeper than our circumstances, to look beyond it. To find something true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything, anything praiseworthy so that we can fix our hearts and minds on them. You can say, God, I don't get this. I don't like this. I don't understand this. But you find something in the midst of it to say, God, but I trust in you. And I believe that you can use this to change me and to do something good. You'll bring something out of this. Romans 8, 28, a familiar verse to many of us. Paul wrote this. He said, we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything. I love that. To orchestrate everything. To work toward something good and beautiful. When we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. Now this verse does not say that all is good. Because all is not good. But it says that if we love him and we cooperate with him, we allow him to orchestrate our lives, that he can and will bring something good out of the most ugliest and horrible of situations. And the Apostle Paul lived this out. That's why in verse 9 he says, put into practice what you've seen and heard of me. He lived that out. And the promise to them and the promise to us is that the God of peace will be with us as we do. So take it from an old worry wart like me. Worry not only steals our joy, it blocks us from God's peace, and that is not, listen, that is not God's plan for your life. So get your relationships in order. Get your request to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Find something. 
get your focus on the good. Fix your eyes there. One last thing. I'm going to tell you a story. We're going to finish with some worship, and uh, we'll send you home. Most of you know, uh, just over six years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, anytime anybody uses or hears the C word, it's stressful. Uh, I already confessed to you that I tend to be a worry wart, so I went through the process, the test, the doc, you know, does a biopsy, and he says, well, we'll call you in five or six days. <laughs> what? What do you mean five or six days? Just get on this. I need to know, like, yesterday. Don't make me wait. Five or six days, we'll, we'll, we'll call you. Wednesday night, 5.05 p.m. I will never forget this moment. So the phone rang, I picked it up, and my doc's on the other end, and the guy, I love him, he's a great surgeon, but like a lot of surgeons, he has a personality of a toadstool. You know, he does, he, it's like, he just doesn't have a lot of anything. Uh, he's brilliant, I love him as a doctor, but he's, anyhow. So he says, well, I have some, you know, unfortunate news. Unfortunate news. Uh, you know, we, the biopsy showed cancer, uh, we're gonna need to get together and talk about next steps. Next steps like what? I, you know, so I start asking 50 questions. Next steps like this, what does that mean? What about this? And what, and because I'd done a lot of research, believe me, I was prepared to ask him a lot. And he says, well, you know, we'll need to get together. Call the office tomorrow and make an appointment for next week. What do you mean, next week? Let's meet tonight. I'm free. How about you? You know, I'm, I'm not happy. And I'm thinking, you know, all the money you're going to make off of me, at least you could do is meet me for coffee at 8 o'clock tonight. And anyhow, that's a whole other issue. So needless to say, I went to bed that night, and I did not sleep well. Tossed and turned, and, and here's, I need you to understand this, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor. I truly was not afraid of dying. My wife could tell you, death is not something I, I worry about. We're all going to die. Again, the issue is, are you living? Well, I was 54 years old, and I'd done all the research, and I'm thinking I, what I was af afraid of, was I feared of, is I didn't want to have to live with the negative consequences of treatment of losing your prostate, and we'll just leave it there. But I will tell you, I didn't want to live in a diaper the rest of my life, and that was a possibility. So I'm, I'm like, I'm not happy, and I'm frustrated, tossing, turning, and dealing with all this stuff. About 3, 3.30 in the morning, I wake up, and I do what I do. I got up when I can't sleep, but I go to my living room, and I started pacing. I've worn a hole in, the, in our carpet just praying. And I don't sit down because I fall asleep, and so I, you know, I probably wouldn't have that night, but I'm walking, and I'm pacing around the living room. And it's the middle of the night, it's pitch black, and now, you know, I know where everything's at, so I'm like a blind man in my living room, I don't have to have light. I'm just walking around praying. And God, this, I don't get this. God, this is really, I just, I, I don't, it's, what's this going to do to my life and to my marriage? And God, what's, and on and on and on and on. And guys, I'm here to tell you, and I am not just saying this. <laughs> the more I prayed, the more I felt Jesus. The more I said, Lord, I don't understand, and I hate this but I'm casting this on you in a way that I can't even describe. If you've not encountered Jesus and felt that before, I pray that you'll have, not a horrible thing that will take you there, but I pray you'll know when I say I encountered God, I encountered God in that living room. And the more I prayed, the more I felt his peace. The more I cast that on him, the more I felt God's literally take that burden from me. Now, here's the other reality. Next day I prayed again. <laughs> And for, you know, about a week before I saw the doc, I kept praying. And then when I got surgery scheduled, like two months later, you know, I kept praying. And then after the surgery, I'm praying. And, and I, that's the pattern that the, we pray, we cast it on the Lord, and that's where we know and experience is peace. I know this because I've lived it. That's just one of many examples I can give you, but one that I can guarantee you, God reminded me. 
truth is he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Sometimes we just leave him. Some of you are facing some really tough things right now. I look around the room this morning, first service, this service, and I know, I can see it in your face. Worry, fear, anxiety, stress, despair. I understand, but I also know this. Jesus wants you to walk in peace. Brian, let me pray for you. Father, thank you. That peace is possible because we come to you, the God of peace. That hope is possible because we lean on you, the God of hope. I know, Lord, that that doesn't mean our hard circumstances always become easy. I know that doesn't mean, Lord, that things always get fixed the way we'd like them to get fixed. But what I do know, Lord, is that you're right there with us and that you want to carry the burden. And so I pray, Lord, I, I, way beyond what I could teach or say, or scripture I share, or the stories I could tell, I pray to God, to, today, God, that you truly would transform us to be people who pray, to be people who work hard at keeping our relationships clean, and people who learn to fix our eyes, our mind, our hearts on the, the whatever we can that's good. Because God, you're there and you're good. And what you're doing in us can be good if we just cooperate, surrender to you. And so I pray, Lord, for each of these people I so dearly love. I love these people, God. I pray today that as they leave, they'll leave transformed, seeking you and knowing your peace. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as Christ's follower. And I can tell you, again, from firsthand experience, there was a time in my life, in my early 20s, where I was far from God, I hated God, I was bitter, angry, mean, vile, full of sin. And I was full of anxiety and worry, and I did not know peace. But the day I came to him and said, God, I, I surrender my life to you, was the day that peace began. And if you're here today and you want to begin your life as Christ follower, you get it. He loves you, and he wants to transform you. He wants to give you new life. If you're here today ready to surrender and to say, God, I, I give you my life, I'm going to pray this very simple prayer right now. And if this is you, just make this prayer yours. Father, thanks for sending Jesus for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for me, for my sins. And right here, right now, I surrender my life to you. I say yes to you. I want to follow you. I want to love you. As I know now, you love me. I'm, I'm yours. I belong to you now, Jesus. Take my life. And where I've struggled, where I've messed things up, where I've failed, I'm grateful for your mercy and your grace now. And I just pray, God, that you'd help me to leave here, change from the inside out, a child of God. Now that's you, in your own heart, say, yep, God, that's what I want. It's what I need. And the Bible says that moment, you surrender your life to him. You become his child forever. He's with you. 
He's with you. And he will never leave or forsake you because you're his child. Lord, seal that truth in their hearts. Fill them with the Holy Spirit right now. From the inside out, show them that they have new life in you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I know you're tempted to leave, to run out of here, to go get your car, run home to the Seahawks game. I think God wants to seal something in your hearts. So rather than leave, I'm going to ask you to join me in this last song to make it a moment of reflection where God seals it. Let's worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. A couple quick things. One is uh, I encourage you. If you need prayer, don't go that way. Come this way. Prayer team will be down front. There's communion available always on both sides of the room if you want to take that this morning before you leave. Uh, the books, I think, are still some available out there for the 50 Days Transformation. Get them. Don't procrastinate. If we run out, I'll get more. That's what I need to know if you're going to take them. Get them today. And by the way, if you honestly cannot afford the $15, and that's between you and Jesus, well, I better not see it at Starbucks. But if you can't afford the 15 bucks, just tell them Kurt said, I get mine for free. And uh, don't be embarrassed by that. We want you to have the book, so you can do that. Um, Wednesday night, 6.30. I talked about having an encounter with God, experiencing Him. Guys, that's what happens at Resurgence. Don't miss it. 6.30 this Wednesday night. I hope you come back. And today, if you begin your life as Christ follower, tell somebody. Tell me. We want to walk with you. And on the baskets, by the doors, there's a packet, a gift bag, Bibles, material you can study and walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Go live this week. Turn your worry list into a prayer list and go Seahawks. God bless you guys. Love you. Thanks for being here.